Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been built or it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, the, the passage that I want to focus on is just the first couple of verses that we read this morning, verse 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. When I went ahead and read the rest of it, though, because uh, it's Jesus' sermon, and I, I want you to see that we have come to what, what is called, what is the conclusion? We've come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, He's beginning the end. He's beginning the concluding remarks of his Sermon on the Mount. And that's, that's significant. That's important for us to know that because it tells us that this instruction, this, this warning about the narrow gates versus the wide gate and the narrow way versus the, the, the easy way, the hard way versus the easy way, this comes in light of all that has come before it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping it all up. He's bringing it all together in these, these final remarks. It's significant for us to know that. He begins to conclude by setting before us two different paths. So he's beginning the conclusion by saying, here's two different paths. And he's wrapping it all up that way. There's a wide, an easy path, a wide gate that leads to destruction, and a narrow gate and a hard path that leads to life. This is not new teaching. It's, it's always a source of amazement for me whenever I, I see these connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's like we have this New Testament, but there's really nothing new in it save the, the, the revelation that we have in Christ. In laying out these paths, these courses with, with two gates and, and two different ways, Jesus, he's echoing and reinforcing teaching that has already existed for hundreds of years in the, in the Old Testament. Way, way back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, the prophet says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you, may, that you and your offspring may live. So way back in Deuteronomy, we're presented with two different options. One, one path leads to death and one path leads to life. And, and the Lord says, choose the path that leads to life. You've got a choice. And then we're presented with two options in, in Psalms. The Psalms begin, Psalm chapter 1, begin with the presentation of two different op- options. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, and on his law he meditates day and night. So on the one side, we've got the counsel of the wicked. We have the way of sinners. We have the seat of scoffers. And on the other side, you have the delight that is in the law of the Lord and the meditating on the Lord's law both day and night. Two different paths, clearly. And then finally, in uh, Jeremiah 21, 8, he says, Say to the people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you a way of life and the way of death. This is not new teaching that Jesus is giving us here in, in, the new, in the New Testament in his sermon. It's not a new concept at all for the Lord to present us with two divergent paths. Only one of those paths lead to life. In other words, there is only one correct choice. And if you think about all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He spends a good deal of time outlining two different paths, one that is destruction, one that is the way of life. He he puts uh, the way of righteousness, true righteousness, as a matter of the heart. And he puts that up against the the external and showy, superficial self-righteousness of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Do you remember all those sayings? You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. Did he not say way back in his introduction in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So from the very beginning, we've got two different paths. We have a way that leads to destruction and a way that leads to righteousness. And and even later in the text that we read this morning, we have the the options between the healthy tree that produces good fruit and the diseased tree that produces bad fruit. We have a house that's built on a rock versus a house that's built on sand, and we see the consequences of building on rocky ground or on on a solid rock versus on, on sandy soil. So Jesus captures all that. He captures all that teaching in, in these, these two verses. Enter by the narrow gate. And he puts that over against the wide gate. The wide gate that is easy versus the narrow gate that has a hard path. And I think the choice of words here is particularly important in order for us to understand the, the, the image and the teaching that Jesus wants us to take from this. He did not simply say there are right ways and there are wrong ways. He basically said there is one way, one gate, one path, and everything else leads to death. He couldn't get more narrow than that. Look at, let's look again at verse 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I just I want to spend just a few minutes this morning focusing on the gates, the wide gate and the narrow gate. Now, there is a, a very healthy and, and helpful discussion to have about the different paths, the ways that Jesus mentions. He says there's an easy way and there's a hard way. In fact, that's where I pulled the title for this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount was from this, these verses here. The way that leads to life is hard. But I, I want to save that discussion for a, a later date when we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount because I think there's a very powerful message that comes from understanding the way that is hard and the necessity and sufficiency of Christ on the way. This morning, we'll spend just a few minutes on the gates. I don't think it does us any good at this point when, when reading through the sermon or even for the people who are hearing this sermon. I don't think it would be done any good to take what Jesus is saying about gates and try to attach some sort of literal, historical, or physical meaning to them. I don't think Jesus is trying to be historically or physically accurate. He is speaking in figurative language, which Jesus does often. When he said, I am the bread of life, he was speaking in figurative language. When he broke the bread and said, this is my body, take it and eat it, he's speaking in figurative language. When he, when he gave the juice and said, this is the cup with my blood of the new covenant, he was speaking in figurative language. That wasn't actually blood, it was wine. I had a man get on to me one day because I, we, I was doing communion service for another community and, and I said, this cup, it symbolizes the blood that, that Jesus spilled and, and he came up after the service and he's like, the, the Bible says that is his blood. And I'm like, well, well, Jesus is allowed to speak in figurative language. He also said that you are salt and light and I don't see, and I'm not going to lick you, but I mean, I don't imagine that you, you would season my food very well. Um, <laughs> anyway. Figurative language. That's what he's talking about here. Um, I have heard preachers, when they, when they cover this over the, over the, the years um, in the past, they, they try to draw a connection between the gates that Jesus speaks about and then some actual physical gates in the, the biblical cities. And they'll say, well, the, you know, the, the cities had this big wide gate uh, that everybody would go in and come out, all the common people, but then there was a small gate that only certain people were allowed to enter into. And, and that, that may be historically accurate, but I just don't, I don't think it's particularly helpful in understanding what Jesus is teaching. Let me, let me rephrase it. I don't think it is, it is necessary to, to have that historical tidbit of information to understand what Jesus is teaching. It doesn't do us good to, to really fixate on that. So, um, you know, that's, that's fine. The, the point, though, is that uh, we are to get from what Jesus says is that there is a gate that leads to life, and it is narrow. Amen. And everything else leads to death and destruction. So what can we know about the gate that leads to life. There are a couple things that, that will that jump out at me. Number one, because it is narrow, the gate is personal. It's a tight fit church. And it's shaped just like you. By contrast, the gate that is wide is easy. It's like going through automatic doors 
you know, at the grocery store. You go and they have these big entrances and, you, and the doors even open for you. You don't have to do anything. You just walk right up and just go on through. You can go through the door with all kinds of people. You can go through the door, you know, with, you know, arm in arm. You can go through the door with your friends. You can go through the door with family, strangers. You can go through the door with all kinds of people. The gate is wide. You can go through the gate 10 people wide if you want. Imagine cars driving through the gates of the city that are loaded down with their luggage racks full of luggage. People are driving, you know, U-Hauls through the gates of the city that are just full of stuff, taking all their things with them through the gates of the city. They don't need to leave anything behind. They don't need to take anything away. They don't need to, to slough anything off. They don't need to lay anything down because they can take it all with them through the gates of the city. They don't have to leave any of their sin behind or their self-righteous pride behind. They can take it all with them through the gates of the city because it's a wide gate. By contrast, the gate that it leads to the hard way, the, the way that leads to life, is a, a very narrow gate. And Jesus says, few there be that find it, so you have to look for it. It's easy to miss. The Bible says that we should seek the Lord while he may be found Jesus said in this very sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, he said to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. If you do not seek the narrow gate first, you'll not find it. You'll not find it. To give you an idea of just how narrow it is, Jesus, he likened it to passing the camel through the eye of the needle. Do you remember that? That's the gate. It's a narrow gate. It's a pinpoint gate. So then in order to enter the narrow gate, we've got to leave. You can't carry a whole bunch of stuff with you. You've got to leave things behind. You've got to lay down your sin and selfishness and you know, selfish ambition and covetousness. And it may be that you have to lay down friends and family. No one can enter the gate. No one can follow Christ who has not first denied himself. Matthew 16, 24, that's exactly what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. This means you can't enter this gate, this narrow gate, with other people. And that one's a hard one for some of us to get. It's a hard one for some people to get. Because they think that by association, they're good. Everything's okay. This is something that you have to do on your own. The narrow gate is immensely personal. Think of it like a turnstile. You know, no one goes through a turnstile in a group. <laughs> you can only pass through a turnstile one at a time. Just because your parents or your friends or your spouse has entered the gate does not mean that you have. That's something you have to do. Think about your membership in a church. That's not going to save you. Your citizenship in a nation is not going to save you. It's a personal decision. You have to enter the gate on your own. Amen. Amen. So that's point number one. The narrow gate is a personal and individual gate. Number two, the narrow gate is exclusive. There's only one gate. He didn't say there are many paths. He said there's one. There is a, a wide path and a narrow path hard path. And there's only one way you may enter, and that way is through Christ. 
John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. So when he's talking about the gate, he's talking about himself. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If you enter by me, then you will be saved. There's no other way you can be saved. You have to come in by Christ. Philosophies can't redeem you. Science can't save your soul. Money can't grant you access. Money can't buy you eternity. Rule keeping won't give you access to to the kingdom. You cannot enter by Buddha or Muhammad or Allah or any of those other names. So away with inclusive Heresies, an inclusive gospel. The gospel is an exclusive gospel insofar as there is one way, one truth, one life, and his name is Jesus. But you don't get to take Jesus on your own terms. We don't get to remake Christ into our image so that we can find our way through the gate. Jesus does not reshape the gospel to fit man. He chisels at the heart of men and women to make them fit the gospel. It's an exclusive gate that leads to life. And there is no other options but through Jesus Christ. You can't find it any other way. Third and finally, the gate does not... Apologize for being narrow. Jesus is not apologetic about this. He states the truth in love, and he makes no bones about it. It's it's part of what made the Pharisees so angry at him that they wanted to kill him. That he said these things, these exclusive statements, and he actually meant them. He actually meant it when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he made a very exclusive statement, no one comes to the Father but by me. You can't get to heaven, you can't get to the Father any other way. There is no other path but Christ. How narrow is that? He's not ashamed of that. He doesn't apologize for that. He states that fact in love. And in fact, if he were to allow for another method, another way, another door to enter into the heavens, if he were to allow for that, he'd be nothing more than a thief and a liar. He said it himself. John 10, 7. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. Everyone who came before me is a thief and a robber. The sheep, my sheep did not listen to them. They didn't go in through that door because that is, that's the door of a thief and a robber. This means that all of our hope, every last bit of it, is in Christ. Amen. Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This means that there isn't any hope in anyone or anything else. Only Christ can save. You can't do it on your own. You can't work your way into it. You have to put your hope and your faith in Christ. I think a lot of Christians get get bogged down there. They get their faith just beat up there. Because they're trying to work out faith through works. And they think, if I make a mistake, I'm, I'm condemned. But it's not my strength that saves me, it's His. Amen. Amen. 
And you know, like Paul would say, shall we, where grace sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Shall, shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. Heaven forbid that. No, we are, we are dead to sin. We should consider ourselves dead to sin. But how often do we, do we see sin lurking at the door like it did for, for Cain and we don't, we don't rule over it and it trips us up? And what I'm telling you is that though the gate is narrow, Christ is sufficient. There's only one who can save you. We have to put all of our hope in him. The gate is narrow, but here's the thing. The invitation is broad. It's wide open. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus because he is the only way. The only way. The narrow way, but the invitation is open to all who feel the weight of sin. Yeah, I'm reminded of John 3.16 when, when Jesus explained the gospel in glorious terms. Actually, John 3.14, he's, he's talking and he says, Moses uh, lifted up the servant in the wilderness, the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. There's no other way. It's Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There wasn't another option. For God loved, the world was lost and God loved the world, so He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in His Son would not perish but have eternal life. There is one solution to the problems of this world. There's one salvation for your soul. And it's not a new Supreme Court justice. It's not immigration reform. It's not tax reform. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. It's not anybody else but Christ. There's no self-help book you can read about having your best life now that can get you where you need to be. It's Christ. The answer is Jesus Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And he said that because he said, I don't, I don't want to come to you with lofty speech and, and high kinds of wisdom. I don't want you to elevate my, my uh, elaborate speech and find solace in logic. I want to very plainly and very simply and very exclusively put to you that Jesus is the only way. The very, very narrow gate. The problem that we have in, in churches today and in, in our own lives is that we get so permissive and we allow people and we allow heresies and we allow doctrines that are, are contrary to this idea, contrary to this idea of there being one way. We shouldn't be apologetic about that. Is it loving to let someone be in deceit? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The loving thing is to say, hey, there's, there's one way, and that's Christ, and you need him. You need him. Amen. I know it's short this morning. Sorry about that, but you'll get out early. But it's a quick message, Amen. and it's an easy message. There is but one way, and that way is Christ. We can't get there any other way.
All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your blessings this morning. Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that you have sent us your son to make a way for us that we might be reconciled with you. Lord, uh, quicken in our hearts. Give us the faith to trust exclusively in him, not in the words of man, not in, not in songs. Oh, so much bad theology comes from music. Lord, help us to understand that Christ is the way. Let us lean on him, cast our cares upon him and our burdens on him, for he cares for us. Lord, send us away from here blessed and rejuvenated to face the weak. Bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.